Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Vladimir Putin cites the West's treatment of J.K. Rowling as an example of the way it is trying to cancel Russia, in a move that has somehow failed to convince the author that she might just be on the wrong side of a human rights issue. Rishi Sunak struggles to go contactless in a petrol station, which is ironic given that he absolutely refuses to go anywhere near the cost of living crisis with a ten-foot stick. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge's trip to Jamaica is marred by a series of PR blunders, including an awkward photo op where they met some black children reaching for them through a chain-link fence. How very royal, embarrassing the Queen by touching kids on a faraway island. And finally, smacking children becomes illegal in Wales, in an attempt to make the Welsh really hit. I'm sorry, that was a cheesy joke. Look, it's very hot today, alright? They can't all be gold. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're joining us once again for another episode of IC News. Pull your tanks back, poison your leading general and pretend he's had a heart attack, hastily cover up your casualty figures and prematurely declare victory, because we've got some serious propaganda to distract your civilians with. As the war in Ukraine enters its second month, it appears to be very much beyond doubt that things haven't exactly gone to plan for Vladimir Putin's Russia. Unless, of course, his plan was to lose thousands of troops, several high-ranking officers, fail to seize any of his key targets in the north and west of the country, and then see an enormous supply ship that his news networks boasted about on television get blown up at the port of Berdyansk. Womp womp. Russia's attempted blitzkrieg has instead been slowed to a brutal war of attrition by the strength of the Ukrainian defence, but that poses challenges of a different kind for Ukraine and its president. Zelensky must now fight to keep the attention of his allies, as well as against the Russian invaders in his country. Emergency NATO summits this week saw pledges from President Biden and European leaders that Ukraine had their full support, and we also got a great 15-second clip of Boris Johnson standing around looking like a socially awkward cotton wool hemorrhage, as just about every other world leader who'd just finished posing for a photo op ignored him. The war in Ukraine has, quite frankly, been great for Boris Johnson, who has managed to use it to smother any dissent over Partygate and start to rebuild his reputation. However, his domestic issues at home in the UK have hardly disappeared, with the cost-of-living crisis now due to cause the sharpest decline in living standards since records began. That's a bruising prospect for Chancellor Rishi Sunak, who this week unveiled his spring budget and some distinctly unimpressive measures to take the pressure off British households. His weak response was compounded by some awkward footage from a petrol station, where our multi-millionaire financial overlord appeared to have no idea how a contactless card works, and had to borrow a normal person car from a normal person employee to fill it up with normal person petrol in an attempt to appear remotely human. 
The Chancellor might be unwilling or unable to meet the scale of the challenge facing British households head-on, but there are others who have been working their arses off to try and take the sting out of rampant inflation for Britain's poorest households. Joining us on the line now is a very special guest that we've been trying to get onto the show for quite some time now. Here to address the cost-of-living crisis with some money-saving tips, it's financial expert Martin Lewis. Hello, Sam. Oh, for fuck's sake. It's me, money-saving expert Martin Lewis, here today to tell you how you can look after those pennies so that the pounds can look after themselves. Honk, honk. Danny, you are obviously not Martin Lewis. How have you even got on this line? We arranged this interview with his secretary earlier this week. Uh, Good afternoon. You're through to the office of Martin Lewis, money-saving expert and fully qualified financial hotter. Hold, please, while we attempt to connect your call. I need to hire better interns. Well, it's funny you should say that, Sam, because I'm financial expert Martin Lewis. And actually, unpaid interns are an excellent way to save money on office costs. Honk, honk. Why do you keep honking? It's me catchphrase, Sam. You'd know that if you'd ever paid any attention to money-saving expert Martin Lewis. Martin Lewis has never said honk, honk, Danny. Oh, well, who am I thinking of, then? Are you seriously telling me that this whole interview section is a complete bust? Geese! I'm thinking of geese. Easy enough mistake to make. What? No, it isn't. How do you mix up a TV personality and money-saving expert with a goose? Clearly, Sam, it's because geese have bills. And don't we all? And aren't they growing day by day? Geese don't have bills, Danny. They aren't filter feeders. They have shorter, narrower beaks that are optimised for pruning tough plant matter. Sam, why the fuck are you talking about geese and beaks? You started it! I'm talking about household bills, Sam. And don't you think your listeners would rather you focus on the cost of living crisis rather than showing off your irrelevant waterfowl trivia? I tried to focus on the cost of living crisis. I thought we'd booked Martin Lewis. Well, there's tip one for you, Sam. Save money by having the wherewithal to not fall for obvious online scams. Honk, honk. Why are you still honking? Because I'm trying to teach your listeners how they can feather their nests, Sam. Fucking hell, keep up. Danny, you are not and have never been a financial expert. All you're doing is hijacking a section that had nothing to do with you. Oh, yeah, because I'm sure your listeners would have been thrilled to hear from the real Martin Lewis, only for you to ask him loads of weird questions about geese. I wouldn't have asked the real Martin Lewis anything about geese. What are you even talking about, Sam? Martin Lewis is a money-saving expert. Why are you so fixated on geese? I'm not. I don't want to talk about geese at all. Then stop it, Sam. People are facing the sharpest decline in living standards on record, you know. And the support offered by the Treasury this week don't even begin to cover the impact on households of surging energy bills. Your listeners deserve far more professionalism than this absolute nonsense. Honk, honk. You're still honking. Because I'm trying to explain to people how they can effectively incubate and grow their nest eggs, Sam. Oh my god, this is infuriating. Not half as infuriating as skyrocketing bills and a billionaire chancellor dangling a tax cut in two years' time, I'd wager. It's not far off. But good news, listeners, because if you can redirect that rage and fury to your lower body, you can use it to keep that nest egg warm, rather than spending your money on expensive gas and lacquer. 
Nest eggs are not literal eggs, Danny, and our listeners are not fucking geese. Are you fucking geese, mate? Because you sure do seem weirdly obsessed with them. This is ridiculous. We haven't covered anything that would be remotely helpful to anyone. We haven't even begun to discuss the cost of living crisis, or even started to address the enormous gulf between Sunak's relief measures and the actual costs of inflation. 13 million more people are facing the plunge into literal poverty, Danny. 13 million! I know! So why are you talking about geese? I'm not talking... Fuck this! I do apologise, listeners. Clearly, this has been a total waste of my time. And as money-saving expert Martin Lewis, my time is worth a lot. If you are genuinely interested in hearing my money-saving tips, rather than the confused ramblings of a canal-prowling avian-bothering pervert, then you can reach my secretary at www.definitelyrealmartinlewis.moonfruit.geocities.livejournal.co.uk. For now, though, I'm Martin Lewis, reporting for IC News. Honk, honk. Is he gone? Good. Right, breathe, Sam. Now, rising energy and food bills and rampant inflation might be of serious concern to a lot of people, but they're of even more concern to you if you happen to lose your job suddenly with absolutely no notice given. That was the terrible position P&O Ferries put 800 of their UK staff in last week. And it's a story that's caught the attention of just about anybody foolish enough to think that we might have been emerging into a golden new era of workers' rights post-pandemic. Tom King has the key to the Dimensional Gate this week, and he's been cruising the multiverse to see if P&O could have done anything differently. Spoiler alert, they fucking could. The open ocean. The fresh mineral scent of seawater in the air. The gentle lapping of the swell against the hull. The call of circling seabirds. And the overwhelming stink of pensioner piss and overcooked buffet bacon. Gather up your bingo cards, your close-up magic specialists and every borderline racist Twilight Years comedian you can gather because we... Are off on a cruise! Drag along your disinterested teenagers. Burn out your eyes in our overly chlorinated deck pools that are 96% urine and 4% cormorant shit. Visit exotic port locations and then go and see the sights for 10 minutes at a time before we repeatedly cram you back onto an overcrowded tin can full of highly contagious explosive diarrhoea. It's the trip of a lifetime. If your lifetime so far has been so utterly devoid of colour that you somehow consider a floating, salmonella-riddled Premier Inn to be the height of luxury. I jest, obviously. There are plenty of lovely ocean cruise companies available, with many wonderful, hard-working employees, who, I can only assume, will do everything they can to ensure you have a fantastic and diarrhoea-free holiday experience. Some of those cruise companies even have owners and corporate boards with a shred of human decency and compassion between them. But today, we are of course focusing on P and O, which is why I now need to make like an albatross and shit on them from a great height. 
Last week, P&O unceremoniously fired 800 staff without notice via video link. It was a move that outraged their now former employees and the general public. What's more, the firm's chief executive, the utterly charmless Peter Hebblethwaite, a man who kind of looks like a budget version of Sex and the City's Mr Big, if you squint at him through a bag of gravel, wasn't exactly apologetic when he appeared before MPs this week. Oh, um, before I carry on, when I say a budget Mr Big, I mean at the budget that actor is currently commanding, you know, all things considered. So, no, it's really not a flattering comparison. Now, if Hebblethwaite's task when appearing before Parliament was to smooth over this PR crisis for his company, he did an impressive job of instead hoofing P&O's reputation completely overboard. He basically admitted that the firm knew full well that they were in blatant breach of their obligations under EU employment law. They simply didn't bother consulting the trade unions before making redundancies like they were legally required to. And why not? Because they knew their plan to replace everybody with much cheaper agency staff would go down like the Titanic, and they figured the savings they would make would massively outweigh the cost of any legal or reputational repercussions. It was an exercise in utterly unfettered and cavalier capitalism, and one P&O appears shockingly unwilling to walk back on, despite a veritable tsunami of public and political criticism. That political criticism came first from the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps, who called for Hebblethwaite's resignation in the wake of his comments before MPs. Then Boris Johnson chimed in to agree, which, if you're Hebblethwaite, has got to chafe a little, being told that knowingly breaking the law means you ought to resign by Boris Johnson is like getting told off for disrespecting women by, um, well, the bloke who plays Sex and the City's Mr Big. Apparently, somewhere near the very bottom of the ethical barrel, that glorious free market the Tories champion does have an actual line that can't be crossed. Which is why it would be nice if shit like this was... Ooh, I don't know. Maybe stamped out before it happens, like proper fucking regulation. And that's the big takeaway here. P&O's unforgivable behaviour throughout this scandal is a direct result of the same old timeless race to the bottom in pursuit of profits that we've seen play out countless times before. Workers' rights have been slowly and deliberately eroded over the last few years, particularly in the maritime and leisure sectors, and job security is now a thing of the distant past for many employees. The simple fact is that the market is not some gracious and benevolent entity that merrily provides for those of us working away within it without any guidance. It is a beast entirely steered by corporate interests. And when the legal penalties for acting unscrupulously are eclipsed by the profits to be made by acting like absolute pirates, well, in the immortal words of Tay-Tay, players are going to seek to fuck the proletariat at every given opportunity. I think that's what she said anyway. I I don't know, I'm paraphrasing. And it's that sort of contempt that has seen 800 P&O workers so ruthlessly cut adrift. A bit like me. Here on Earth Delta Wilson, he definitely fucked that volleyball 48. I came here to see how P&O workers would have reacted in a reality where the company followed the law and at least consulted the unions before announcing these sudden redundancies. Rather predictably... It didn't go well. 
The crew of this particular cruise liner responded by immediately manning the lifeboats and abandoning ship to go on strike, leaving me floating here, somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic, trapped on a boat with a thousand stranded cruise goers. Oh God, they're back! I've locked myself in the canteen, but they keep coming back, demanding cocktails and beers and shouting at me. Shouting that I keep refilling the salad bar and not the shrimp. I've had to kill three of them already. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to stab a retiree who spent the last ten years sunning themselves on the top deck of a cruise liner? It's like trying to push a spoon through a leather belt. This is it. This is the end. Get back. Get back, I say. I'm Tom King, about to get gulped to death by a hundred pensioners the colour of David Dickinson. Reporting for IC News. Get back! Speaking of escaping from foreign holidays gone horribly wrong, this week saw Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe speak in public for the first time since she was released from custody in Iran. When asked at the press conference if she was grateful for the work of Foreign Secretary Liz Truss in securing her release, Zagari Ratcliffe politely disagreed with her husband and suggested that the Foreign Office may have occasionally let her down over the last six years or so. That polite criticism was rapidly twisted into a hysterical lack of gratitude by some of your favourite right-wing commenters and internet trolls. And you know, I cannot think for the life of me why they would object to a woman of colour who's been through an awful experience, suggesting that she may have been failed somewhat. Here's Alison June-Smith to hopefully explain. Iran. It's the holiday destination everybody's talking about. Come to visit your parents, and for the fun of the Iranian New Year celebrations. And then stay for six years, because we make you. You'll just love our secure accommodation. And what's more, every time your foreign secretary leaves us a negative TripAdvisor review, we'll extend your stay completely free of charge. And when you do finally manage to tear yourself away, don't forget to check out the gift shop at the exit, where you'll be able to get a bargain discount on a lifetime supply of post-traumatic stress disorder. Iran. We're just like center parks, right down to the constant looming threat of a violent execution. Now, before I get into the meat of this story, let's just take a second to enjoy the genuinely good news here. After six years of incarceration in Iran, Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe is now back home with her family here in the U.K., She spent most of her young daughter's life as a political pawn, abused and exploited by an Iranian regime that used her suffering as a diplomatic bargaining chip. On top of that, she was repeatedly let down by a British establishment that at times was so incompetent that it appeared to actively be working against her release. Her ordeal is now finally over. And despite the horror of whatever she may have endured under interrogation and the emotional trauma of so many false dawns and crushed hopes of release over the years, she seems remarkably composed. I mean, fuck, dude. Did you watch that press conference? If I'd spent half a decade locked up in an Iranian prison, I'd be hiding in the basement for three days and shitting in a bin bag every time I heard a car backfire. 
not Zagari Radcliffe, who I can only assume must have set off the metal detector at the airport when she arrived back here because her spine is clearly made of solid steel. This is a woman who has seen a lot, and quite rightly now has an opinion about all the crap she's had to put up with. While it's great that she's now been released, she's endured the fuck-ups and missteps of no less than five foreign secretaries since she was first detained in Iran. The biggest of which, you will, of course, remember, was Boris Johnson's less-than-helpful and completely untrue suggestion that she had been training journalists in the country. That saw her slapped with even more questionable charges, which is probably why Bojo has been reluctant to take his own personal victory lap over her release. It's one thing for Liz Truss to claim a feather in her cap for getting her out. It'd be quite another for Boris to have the nerve to try and bask in the reflected glory. Like Harold Shipman taking credit for getting NHS waiting times down. The simple fact is that Zagari Radcliffe has an absolute right to be pissed and is finally in a safe enough position to be critical of the way she's been treated and to start asking questions, which is why it was so fucking weird and grotesque to see the online backlash to what was essentially her very composed and polite refusal to grovel and thank British ministers for her release. The hashtag send her back even started trending on Twitter as assholes online piled in with their own hot takes about how she should be acting. And predictably enough, the main objection seems to be that Zagari Radcliffe didn't seem cowed and humble enough by her ordeal, as if it was somehow unseemly that a woman could endure everything she went through and come out of it not just defiant, but critical of the way our government handled her case. I think it's important to point out that she was hardly spitting petulant feathers here. She thanked a whole bunch of people and organizations for everything that they did to support both her and her family over the last six years. Literally, the only thing that Zagari Radcliffe did that these fucking clown farts objected to was refuse to cry and thank our government for being so wonderful and allowing her to live her dreams and enjoy her freedom. Since when do these little bitches get to dictate how a fucking hostage of a foreign power chooses to present herself? And since when is it sacrilege to suggest that a government that clearly failed her repeatedly should now have questions to answer? The simple fact is that Zagari Radcliffe is not now back at home because of the heroic efforts of a British establishment that has worked tirelessly to free her. She is home because our government now need to cozy up to just about anyone who produces oil that isn't Russia. That's why Boris Johnson has been on a whistle-stop tour of any tyrant that will host him recently. Immediate business with Iran might not be on the cards just yet, but trading political prisoners for the $400 million we've owed them since the 70s is at least a vague swipe towards the diplomatic reset button. 
And that's the most galling thing about the online fury at Zagari Ratcliffe's defiance and refusal to thank Liz Truss. These assholes want her to be groveling and grateful when her release may have been purely incidental to yet another political power play. Even when finally gaining her freedom, she was still just a chess piece on a board. Well, fuck that. Clearly, Nazanin is a woman who's sick to the back teeth of neckbeards telling her how she should act. Whether they're Iran's revolutionary guards or our very own homegrown British basement dwellers. And I, for one, can hardly blame her. I'm Alison June Smith, far too demure and ladylike to be anything other than grateful for the opportunity. Reporting for IC News. Alison June Smith there, Canadian and making me doubt everything about the way I pronounce Iran. Her report brings us to the end of our scheduled broadcast. As always, we'll be back at 8am next Sunday. But until then, we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. A report into the murder of Daniel Morgan accuses the London Met of being unfit for purpose and indifferent to corruption. We approached the Metropolitan Police for comment and made ten grand if we promised not to mention it. Jeremy Hunt says Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe should have been freed much earlier, as he continues to edge ever closer towards self-awareness. The Taliban goes back on its pledge to reopen schools for girls in Afghanistan, and I for one am starting to doubt their commitment to gender equality. And finally, Diana the Musical sweeps five awards at the celebration of the year's worst films, the Razzies. I've seen it, and it's an absolute car crash of a production. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. Hello again. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind our bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me and if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar. <laughs>